Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. Steve, Caleb, and Pat all sent me the story about food in the news, and I was hesitant to do the story because it sounds a lot like some of the other stories I did recently where people complained and said, well, I bought strawberry Pop-Tarts, and I read the ingredients, and it doesn't actually contain any real strawberries, uh, or I, you know, and that kind of thing. And so when I first saw this headline involving Velveeta mac and cheese cups, my first thought was, oh no, here we go again. But interestingly, this is a slightly different type of case. It's a class action, yes, and it's being filed in a couple different theories, one of which is Uniform Commercial Code. So the UCC, of course, is something I do a lot of work with. Uh, I've taught it in law school. I took classes on it when I was in law school. And uh, it's been invoked in almost every lawsuit I've ever filed, and I've filed a few. So from classaction.org, a story written by Corrado Ritzy, Velveeta mac and cheese cups not ready in three and a half minutes as advertised, according to a class action recently filed. <laughs> so they're not arguing about whether or not the Velveeta mac and cheese cups actually contains mac and or cheese and or cups, but whether or not it is ready in three and a half minutes as advertised. A proposed class action alleges the Kraft Heinz Foods Company has falsely and misleadingly advertised that its Velveeta mac and cheese cups can be ready in three and a half minutes. And these people say, the the attorneys and and their clients say, in a 15-page complaint, no less, that that is impossible, uh, assuming that we're talking about how time actually works. Because three and a half minutes is the cooking time, not the prep time, see? And it says ready in three and a half minutes, not cooking time three and a half minutes. (laughs) So they say that consumers understand ready in three and a half minutes to mean it takes just three and a half minutes to prepare a Velveeta single-serving shells and cheese cup. That is, from the moment it's opened to the moment it's ready to eat. Product labels do not clearly disclose that the three and a half minutes accounts only for the microwave time. So, So they say, look, yeah, the microwave time is three and a half minutes. But if you count the entire prep time, we're like, you know, we're looking at more like, I don't know, five or six minutes. And who's got that kind of time? <laughs> the label does not state the product takes three and a half minutes to cook the microwave, which would have been true, the, source, the suit says, alleging that consumers are misled into expecting that the Velveeta mac and cheese will be ready to eat in a shorter amount of time than it really takes to prepare. According to the case, the four steps to prepare the Velveeta mac and cheese include A, Removing a cup's lid and cheese sauce pouch. B, adding water to the cup's fill line and stirring. And yes, I'm using letters instead of numbers. C, microwaving uncovered on high for three and a half minutes without draining. And D, stirring in the contents of the cheese sauce pouch. The filing contends that consumers see the ready in three and a half minutes claim and believe that the mac and cheese can be ready to eat in three and a half minutes. Not that just one of those four steps takes three and a half minutes. And this is confounding. So, (laughs) as the case lays out in its complaint, the Velveeta mac and cheese would need to be cooked in the microwave for less than three and a half minutes in order for the product to be ready to eat, start to finish in that time frame. And obviously that's not true. And this is just a math problem. See, it says ready to eat three and a half minutes and one step takes three and a half minutes. So unless those other steps can be done in zero time, which obviously they can't be, they wouldn't be steps, 
then there is a problem here following this logic. <laughs> Defendant sold more of the product and at higher prices than it would have had in the absence of this misconduct, resulting in additional profits at the expense of consumers, the suit claims. The lawsuit looks to cover consumers in Florida, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Utah, New Mexico, Alaska, Iowa, Tennessee, and Virginia. You might say, Steve, why those states? Why not the entire country? Well, one of the major causes of action is the various unfair and deceptive trade practice acts in different states. It's a state law. So many states have got them, but they vary somewhat from state to state. For instance, Michigan's got one on the books, but it's been deemed unenforceable by our oh-so-good Michigan Supreme Court. And um, other states apparently don't have them either. And so the plaintiffs in this case and their counsel think that these states I just rattle off here are the ones that have the UDTPAs, which will help them. But the other, other cause of action is the UCC. And the UCC, of course, has been adopted in all 50 states. So here's the thing. They've also argued the Magnuson-Moss Warranty Act. And, and this is important because the Magnuson-Moss Warranty Act is a federal statute that says that you can bring a cause of action against somebody for a violation of a warranty. Uh, and if you are forced to do that and, and you win, and it's a consumer setting, and a few other things apply, that you can get your attorney fees and court costs paid along with actual damages. And so a UCC claim by itself, generally speaking, in most states will not get your attorney fees paid because both sides bear their own costs. So when you bring a UCC claim, you always look to see if it's a consumer claim. And if so, you then see if you can make it into a Magnuson-Moss Warranty Act claim. So I actually read the complaint, so you don't have to. <laughs> 15 pages of legalese. For instance, paragraph 27 says, Plaintiff looks to bold statements of value when quickly selecting groceries. That is an odd statement to put in the pleadings because bold statements of value may or may not be warranties. They may not be enforced under the UCC. They may be just puffery. And when quickly selecting groceries implies that you're doing this quickly, you're not putting proper thought into it. So are you a thoughtless plaintiff relying on puffery? <laughs> I didn't draft the complaint. I just read the complaint. Uh, she also says that she bought this many times. Many times. And that's, that's the quote. She bought it many times. Now, we could examine that sentence all day long. You might say, Steve, why are you pointing out a five-word sentence? She bought it many times. Well, getting back to the fact that she um, makes hasty selections based on bold statements, she's also bought this product many times. When did she realize that three and a half minutes was the cooking time and not the overall prep time? Did she not realize that the first time she went to make it and read the instructions? Or is she really that slow? I I'm just curious. Because when somebody does something one time, you go, okay, they could have made a mistake. They do it a second time, and a third time, you go, okay, whatever it is, they're not learning. So when did she realize that it takes more than three and a half minutes? Because my point is that if she didn't notice the first few times, is she harmed? And second of all, if she did notice, why'd she keep going back? Because if she did notice and she kept going back, it must be the harm's not that much. At least that's what I'd be arguing if I was defending this. 34, paragraph. Plaintiff intends to, seeks to, and will purchase the product again 
when she can do so with the assurance its representations are consistent with its abilities, attributes, and or composition. <laughs> I have never seen that alleged in a UCC claim that we bought something we were ripped off and if we don't get ripped off in the future, we'll buy it again. Why do you plead that? Why? I, I, and, and you might say, Steve, at this point, aren't you just getting picky? Well, when you plead stuff, you're supposed to plead the bare bones of the allegations to let the other side know what your claims are. But you don't plead extra stuff because it gives the other side ammunition, such as they're going to take the deposition of the plaintiff and go, you look to bold statements of value when quickly selecting groceries. Let's go back to quickly selecting groceries. You do that without thinking? Is that why that... I, <laughs> Why else would you rely on bold statements instead of warranties? And now, of course, a warranty could be a bold statement, but not all bold statements are warranties. This is the greatest car. This, this, this is a wonderful car. This, this car is a bargain at this price. No warranties there. Bold statements, but no warranties. Then, then, paragraph 75. Defendant described the product so plaintiff believed it would take three and a half minutes total to prepare and be ready for consumption, which became part of the basis of the bargain that it would conform to its affirmations and promises. That's um, what we call word salad. Those are phrases that I recognize as a lawyer. <laughs> the basis of the bargain language comes from what creates a warranty. But then it, that it would conform to its affirmations and promises. Well, the product doesn't make an affirmation or promise. The warrantor does. And so to say that we're relying on its affirmations and promises should have been we're relying upon the defendant's affirmations and promises. But again, plaintiff recently became aware of defendant's breach of the product's warranties. She recently became aware. So she was not aware before. Now, here's the thing. I can see some warranties being so complicated that it might take an expert to figure them out. But when it comes to Preparing food you are eating yourself. <laughs> How hard is it to discover whether or not the warranty has been breached with what you've purchased? Paragraph 82, the product was not merchantable because it was not fit to pass in the trade as advertised, not fit for the ordinary purpose for which it was intended, and did not conform to the promises or affirmations of fact made on the packaging container or label because it was marketed as it would take three and a half minutes total to prepare and be ready for consumption. Now, what we're talking about here is the implied warranty merchantability. And the implied warranty merchantability says that there's several ways you can breach it. But generally speaking, and this is the example I always give, if you buy a refrigerator, you don't need to have them say, oh, by the way, this will keep your food cold. No, that's what refrigerators do. So you buy a refrigerator, take it home, plug it in, doesn't keep your food cold. You call the seller up and go, hey, this thing won't keep my food cold. They go, so what? We never promised it would. No, that's what refrigerators do. The implied warning merchantability is that it's, it's fit for the purpose that most people would expect that it's intended for. That's understood. That's implied. But there are other things about whether or not something can pass in the trade or if it meets its advertisements and so on. But the real question is, was it really not merchantable? Merchantable means that, that, that you can sell it and people will, in essence, get what they paid for. So when you're buying this product that says be ready in three and a half minutes and you're looking at the box and it clearly says, do this, do this, cook for three and a half minutes and then do this and you're ready to eat. I mean, most people know that 
when you microwave something, it always says, take it out and let it sit for a minute too. Did, did she really think that you could prepare it, microwave it, take it out and start eating it three and a half minutes after you started preparing it? Finally, and this again, this, this, this paragraph gets the word salad award at page, uh, paragraph 83. The product was not merchantable because defendant had reason to know the particular purpose for which it was bought by plaintiff because she expected it would take three and a half minutes total to prepare and be ready for consumption. And she relied on defendant's skill and judgment to select or furnish such a suitable product. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) Good thing there's an attorney sitting here because I can tell you what they're trying to say here. What they're trying to say is that the implied warranty of fitness for a particular purpose found at the UCC section 2, subsection 315, article 2, 2315, in Michigan, MCL 440.2315. It talks about where you go into a, a sales transaction negotiation. I come into your business and you sell, not widgets, but you sell a particular kind of excavator that digs in the dirt. And I say, sir, what do you sell here? And you go, we sell dirt digging excavators. I go, great. I need a dirt digging excavator. So you say, what do you need it to do? I say, here's the thing. I need to dig a trench. I need to dig a trench that I'm going to put a pipe into and water is going to flow through that pipe. And you go, I got just the thing for you. And we walk past all your other dirt digging excavators and you bring me to one. You go, this one right here, this will do the job for you. I say, well, let's just be clear here. I need the trench to be two feet down and a foot wide. And I'm doing this in Michigan in what used to be a farm field. So I'm describing everything. You go, this will do the job. I go, great, I'll buy it. I buy it, take it back where I need to dig my dirt. And guess what? It won't dig. And with a lot of messing around with it, I finally get it to dig, but it won't dig two feet down or foot wide. So I, I, I call the store and I get somebody else on the phone because you've gone home, the, seller, the seller's gone home. And the guy goes, which one did you buy? And I go, I bought the, and I give him the model number. He goes, oh, that won't do it. I go, what do you mean it won't do it? He goes, that thing's not designed to actually dig ditches for pipes. That one's designed to dig ditches for wires, lines, like cable. So pipes are wider. So you'd need to actually get a totally different machine. I don't know why he sold you that machine. Don't know why. But that machine will not do it. Let's assume every statement made in that last transaction is true. We're all telling the truth here. And the only person who was mistaken was the guy who sold me the machine. Now, if I go and sue for breach of contract and say I didn't get the machine, well, I got the machine. Well, the machine's defective? No, the machine's not defective. It does exactly what the factory designed it to do. Dig ditches for cable. Okay. Um, What's the warranty? It's the implied warranty of fitness for a particular purpose. I told the guy what the purpose was to which I'd put the machine. He was an expert. I relied upon his expertise in selecting the machine. And as a result, I bought the wrong machine because I was misled by him. 
And obviously the law would say that he should not be able to benefit by misleading me, whether it's intentional or not. So under the implied warranty fitness for a particular purpose at 2315, it says, where the seller at the time of contracting has reason to know any particular purpose for which the goods are required and that the buyer is relying on the seller's skill or judgment to select or furnish suitable goods, this will apply. Okay, you go, Steve. Kind of sounds like it applies. Oh, does it? First of all, let's start with where the seller at the time of contracting. Who did she buy the Kraft cheese from? The mac and cheese. She bought it from a store. According to the pleading, she bought it at a Publix in Florida. A couple different Publixes. Remember, she bought it more than once. The seller? Okay, the lawsuit's against the manufacturer. Now, <laughs> just pointing that out. You can sue a warrantor under the Magnus Moss Warranty Act, even if they are remote, meaning you didn't deal with them directly. You bought it from a store who bought it from the warrantor. However, however, the implied warranty fitness for a particular purpose does seem to be that you go in and negotiate with somebody and you rely upon their expertise. What expertise was the buyer here relying upon when she bought the three-and-a-half-minute mac and cheese? Now, they spun this around and used a bunch of this word salad again, uh, saying that the product is not merchantable because defendant had reason to know the particular purpose for which it was bought because she expected it to take three... Interestingly, the UCC comes to the commentary section. And the drafters of the code put comments underneath each section to clarify what they're getting at. Comment sections are given much, much deference by the courts. And the comment section under the implied warning fitness for the particular purpose at 2315 says specifically that it's most likely going to apply in a situation where somebody comes in and speaks to somebody and says, here's what I'm looking for. Do you have it? And they go, we got just what you're looking for. Like getting back to my ditch Dirt digging device. <laughs> okay? So the implied warning fitness for a particular purpose does apply in some settings where you go in and negotiate with somebody. But I've never seen it apply to where somebody walked in, looked at a product on a shelf, and just said, I'm going to buy this product. Now, let's get down to what we're really talking about here. Is the three and a half minute description a warranty? And if so, it would be an express warranty because it's made on the packaging. And if, in fact, it was part of the basis of the bargain that went into this decision to buy the stuff, then yes, it would be a warranty if, in fact, that was the basis of the bargain. And it was reasonable to believe that three and a half minutes is literally how long it takes you. So you go, I'm going to eat some food. I got three and a half minutes. You pull the box out and you expect to be eating three and a half minutes. Hence, <laughs> three minutes, 31 seconds later, you ain't eating, boom, breach of warranty. Is that, is that reasonable to make that argument? If so, this could win. If not, eh. And one of the problems I've got, and we'll get back to the rules of pleading, and that is that there's some things in this complaint which are extraneous. And, and you might say, Steve, why are you giving this away? Aren't there defense attorneys out there who theoretically could be watching your video right now, taking notes? And use this to defend this claim? Well, this is all public stuff here, okay? And if anybody wants to actually take my advice, knock yourself out. Just send me a note and thank me. But the fact that plaintiff looks to bold statements of value 
when quickly selecting groceries is a horrible thing to put in a pleading. It is. This is bad pleading. It should have said, plaintiff looks to explicit statements of warranty when deciding what to purchase when being frugal but still thorough in her thought process. (laughs) It's the opposite of what that says. And then it says that she wants to buy the stuff again in the future, which implies that she likes the product. Okay, so you like the product so much that you'll buy it again in the future if they change the packaging, but they don't change the product at all? That's a bizarre thing to put in here, and I don't know why they put that in here. I don't know. I don't know. Now, it could be that they're going with some form of reliance, saying that, that uh, you know, uh, the fact that she bought it in the past proves that, that her intentions are good or something. <laughs> I don't know. Plaintiff intends to, seeks to, and will purchase the product again. I mean, can they hold her to that? If she doesn't buy it in the future, could they sue her for that? Just asking the question. I still don't get why you pled it, though. And then plaintiff recently became aware of defendant's breach of the product's warranties. If it took you that long to figure this out, is it really that big of a breach? And yes, there can be minor breaches. I'm not saying that a minor breach doesn't matter. It, it very well could. But the bigger problem I've got is some of this stuff just literally looks like they took the UCC out of the blue books behind me, but the Florida version, <laughs> ran them through a blender and spit them out onto a page, came up with a 15-page complaint. So we'll see what happens. But as of right now, there is a class action lawsuit that's been filed. <laughs> According to classaction.org, Carrado Ritzi wrote the article. Steve, Caleb, and Pat all sent it. Velveeta mac and cheese cups not ready in three and a half minutes as advertised. Class action alleges. <laughs> Questions or comments? Put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Be a curator of your own life. Slowly cut things out until you're left only with what you love, what's necessary, and with what makes you happy.